I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm the Commander-in-Chief here at WCS HQ. And with me in the studio this week, returning for four more years with a resounding validation of what he's been doing so far, it's the President of Punditry, Tony Kerr. That's actually quite a nice intro, Adam. Bit like you better than your usual guff. I <laughs> know <laughs> you don't like that word. How's it going this oh, week, Tim? This going well. I've dro- what I've done in the introduction is I've dropped a few references to the U.S. presidential election. Uh, were you aware that there's been an, an election this week? I heard about that. Yeah, there was something on the news, wasn't there, about it? <laughs> <laughs> there was something on the news about it. Every week here at the World Cricket Show, I feel we're standing on the precipice of history, <laughs> uh, but never more so than this week. Um, I don't know if you saw that. Um, Barack Obama was the winner. Who? He uh, he chased down that target of 270 electoral college votes. That was a good gag. I saw you tweeted that. Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to repeat the gag here. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he chased it down with steely determination. Reminded me of Brian Lara or Sachin Tendulkar. Just knocked a, knocked him off. Dug in after some early blows. Dug in. Got, you know, nervous 90s. Republicans but... struck early, took Indiana. But he kept his nerve and just made sure he got the job done. Who'd have thought there'd be so many parallels between the American elec- you know, election or electoral system and test cricket. I mean, they're, they're basically the same, one and the same, aren't they? Did you stay up to watch the results? Uh, well, I'd work at six this morning, uh, and I was, uh, as, you, as you alerted the general public, uh, I was out last night. So I, I got in and I, I stayed up till about quarter past one, and then I thought, mm, I'm just going to have to go to bed. I was planning to stay up through the night, because uh, Wednesday's my day off work. I thought, you know, it's fine, I can just stay up all night. Uh, but in the end, I ended up drifting off around <laughs> one. I must have been asleep for about 20 minutes and sort of woke up with a start. Uh, and I was like, oh, forget this. I'm going to have to go to bed. But that was before any of the swing states had come through. So um, That's but- the trouble with these kind of things, isn't it? That the business end of things uh, is only later than, you know, it's only at the very latest points. So, so yeah, if you're going to do it, you've got to do it properly. But two years ago, during uh, the ashes in Australia, I stayed up all night, stayed awake watching Cook and Trot sort of plodding along, just <laughs> like tediously compiling runs. And, uh, you know, people in the stands were falling asleep. To be honest, probably some people on the field were falling asleep, <laughs> but I stayed awake. Uh, and then last night, you know, the most important, most exciting night, you know, that anyone could remember. And, uh, and I could only make it to one o'clock. Does this mean I'm getting old, Tim? Is that what's happened? Uh, yeah, I think it's possibly the case i mean you know what's your approach going to be uh you know during the next ashes down well, under well i don't know i mean if i make it to 11 30 <laughs> i can't have done well which is over, yeah. it's the pre-match isn't it I'll, <laughs> I'll be drifting off when nasa and gower are chatting about it so anyway yeah the the u.s election has has been well one of the biggest stories this week but not nearly the biggest and there are some massive test series uh about to get underway in various countries around the cricketing world and we'll be talking about those today Um, Australia and South Africa are gearing up for the first match of their series in Brisbane and we'll be unleashing our definitive preview of that series in just a moment. We're also moving unstoppably towards England's first test match in India. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more about that series later on and there'll be one or two side notes as well. A whole heap of stuff to look forward to. Tone, I'm very excited about it. I know you're very excited about it. Let's hope the listeners are excited about it. But first things first, have you had a good week, Tone? Yeah, it's been very good, yeah. I'm given to understand that you were at some boozy corporate dinner last night. Yeah, you know how it is. And there were some guest speakers there that our listeners might have heard of. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, the sponsors uh, the sponsors, you know, packed me off to this, this uh, yeah, like you say, boozy dinner last night. Still don't really understand why I wasn't allowed to go. Well, I think they felt, you know, they felt like they wanted to put kind of the, the face of the World Cricket Show uh, out there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Alex Stewart and Mark Butch were there. I was just telling them all night about the podcast, you know, about how it was going to be me and you. We're going to be replacing them in about 
yeah, <laughs> 18 months time what uh, else guys yeah did you have some good bant with butch uh better bant with butch than with stuart that's for sure <laughs> yeah, that doesn't yeah. surprise me no he's just quite a driver yeah i uh, i had when you told me that you were going to this thing i had uh, i had visions of you like getting drunk and just telling alex stewart that like james foster was a better wicket keeper than him yeah. and that kind of stuff <laughs> uh, and i didn't think he'd take that very well uh but yeah but i, I asked butcher actually why why the sky team answer every one of carvel's questions with world trials to begin with <laughs> well so this is a thing for people that, that don't know we've talked about this before that yeah on, on sky's highlights shows which are always presented by charles colville that um, all the pundits seem to answer every question that he poses with a, well, that's a good question, Charles. Or like, well, Charles, uh, that's a good point, Charles. Like, they always say his name back to him, which is, I mean, obviously it is his name, but there's just something quite weird about it that they all do it all the time. I, yeah, I, I think we assumed it must be cut some kind of in-joke or, yeah, they were like, you know, they had some kind of bet as to who could say Charles the most. So you asked Butcher about yeah. it. And he didn't know. He was like, oh, yeah, we do do that, don't we? <laughs> we all say that. Uh, and so, yeah, I said, keep it up. Makes us laugh. Well, next time he's on Sky, I'm going to be keeping an eye out to see whether or not uh, he sort of makes a big play of it. Yeah, I like exactly. it if he just looks directly at the camera and goes, well, Charles. <laughs> it is good. There's something about Colville as well that just makes it very... It's just. It's true, because they don't go like, yeah, that's a good point, David. Or like, well, that's an interesting question, Ian. But with Colville, yeah. they're just like, well, Charles. Um, well, who, it's Willis, mainly, isn't oh, it? It's well, Willis, I don't yeah. know, Charles. I mean, <laughs> listeners might be wondering, you know, given that they've just heard that these, these two sort of giants of, of the cricketing game were in Guernsey and that Tony's sort of interacted with them, you know, struck up a relationship with, with them. Uh, why they're perhaps not on the show, why, why Tony didn't maybe record an interview with them or even just get them to say, you know, I'm Mark Butcher and I listen to the World Cricket Show, that kind of stuff. And it's a question that I'm asking as well because uh, packs, when, when you told me you were going to this thing, we were discussed it and I was like, yeah, you know, you should, you should take a flash mic down and, uh, and record a little bit uh, talking to them. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that would be brilliant. Yeah, good idea. I'll definitely do that. <laughs> Once again, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Tony's sorting that out. Yeah, I don't have to worry about that. That's going to be good. And then, like, last night, our friend Will, who was at this thing with you, called me up and was like, are you aware that Tony hasn't recorded anything, hasn't done anything, and you didn't even take the flash mic down? Well, that just wasn't appropriate, really. But presumably you knew that when we were discussing it. So why did you tell me you were going to take no, the I was flash go- mic No, I was going to record something on my phone, but, like, the band wasn't... It didn't... You know, it wasn't going that way, really. <laughs> You know how at the beginning of the show I sort of compared you to Barack Obama? Can you imagine if that was his, if that had been his campaign slogan? Yes, we can, if it's appropriate. I just made you know I made a, I made a decision, but when you're out on the campaign trail, you know sometimes you've got to make split second decisions <laughs> over the course of a few hours. <laughs> over the course of a few yeah. boozy hours, we'll catch up with them again. Around the world now, this is the part of the show where we talk about things that have been happening around the world. Now there are two test series that are set to kick off this week. West Indies are in Bangladesh for a two-match tour, uh, but we're going to talk about that, I would have thought, at the end of the series. I do think it's going to be interesting to see whether West Indies can build on their their recent momentum. I guess if they can't build on it uh, against Bangladesh, then there will be plenty to talk about. Uh, But we'll come back to that series. Today we're going to concentrate on arguably the marquee series of the winter, or certainly one of the two marquee series of the winter, or the summer, I guess, if you've got your seasons the wrong way around. Uh, I'm talking about Australia v South Africa. Now, I think this has got the potential to be a, a crackerjack contest. Uh, if you remember a year ago, there was a, a seesaw two-match series in South Africa. Literally, yeah. Uh, well, it finished one all, didn't it? The first game, Australia, you might remember, were at one point twenty-one for nine. Uh, some sensational cricket was played in that series. And the last time South Africa were in Australia, which was four years ago, that was an absolutely fantastic contest as well, you might remember. Um, JP Doomney and AB de Villiers chasing down 414 in the fourth innings. So recent history suggests that this should be a good series and just sort of looking at it ahead of time, uh, that feeling is reinforced. Not so long ago, Australia was a more or less impregnable place to tour, but that's not really the case anymore. England won there two years ago. South Africa, as I say, won there two years before that. South Africa are the recently installed world number ones. Would it therefore be foolish, Tony, to to not make South Africa favourites for this series? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think South Africa are our favourites. But yeah, what you know, what a series! It's, it's a nice, concise series in terms. Of, there's not there's not much flab, is there? Uh, yet again, only three tests. We- probably would have liked four uh, but uh, yeah the, the the series last year really came in a kind of swathe of classic test matches didn't it and it was got to hope for more of the same but yeah south africa's slight favorites i see australia's dossier has been leaked 
You see that? I did, yeah. It's yeah. like something from, um, I don't know. <laughs> that's a good reference, isn't it? <laughs> I was going to say spooks, but I don't know whether that's quite yeah. right. Some sort of spy, political spy thriller. This is going nowhere. This is a, <laughs> carry on. Uh, so basically this is a, a, a document that um, Australia's coaching and, and strategy staff have have compiled, sort of breaking down all, each of the South African players, uh, sort of saying what their weaknesses are and what their um, plans are, setting out what Australia's plans are um, for each of the batsmen and for combating each of the bowlers. The kind of headline out of that really is the, the their plan for Amla, which basically involves just getting in his head. It says they're going to target him verbally, doesn't it? Which basically means sledging. They're going to try and unsettle and break his concentration that way. What do you make of that? Well, you know, it shows they're still up to their usual tricks, isn't it? They're old. Uh, they're, they're going back to their old game. I guess if you're an Australian fan, that might, in a strange way, be quite an encouraging sign. Because although That's exactly the word, because Australia went way too far with sledging, didn't they? And, and you know, people not in Australia really started to dislike the Australian cricket team because they went so far with it, sort of under Steve or under Ricky Ponting. But in recent years, that's gone completely the other way. As a reaction to that, there's been a feeling that perhaps Australia haven't been quite competitive enough. You don't want to sort of encourage anything over the top in the, in the sledging department. But as I say, if you're an Australian fan, you're probably going to be quite pleased that they're at least thinking about that as a way to beat South Africa. It suggests they really want to beat them. I'm not sure that um, it will necessarily work, that sledging plan. Now, I mean, Amla doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that that would work against. But then I suppose, what else are you going to do? I mean, you can't sort of say, let's target him with the short ball, let's target him with the full ball, let's target him with the spinners, because nothing's going to work. So Let's just bowl at him. (laughs) So the only thing you can do is try and get in his head. So I suppose it's not too much of a surprise. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, like you say, you know, he doesn't, doesn't seem to have many weaknesses. Mm. Yeah, there are other players who'd like, oh well, yeah, we're going to bowl full at his feet or something. It always makes you always find strange, you know. This is a dossier that was leaked in the Australian media. Uh, obviously, a great story for them, but doesn't really help their team's cause, does it? Whilst we, you know, we, we agree that you know it's good they've got plans. In a way, it's slightly embarrassing, isn't it, for them, for the Aussies? I'm sure the South Africans are going to be giving it to them, you know, even harder now in the field. No, it is. Um, it's embarrassing for the Aussies in the sense that it's been leaked. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure South Africa have a similar document about the Australians. Um, I'm sure Australia have had similar documents about every team they've played against. But the fact that it's been leaked, well, will be annoying because it means that the South, that the South Africans are, are seeing it and is a bit embarrassing. And as you say, the the fact that it's the Australian media that's done it will be doubly frustrating for the Australians because they'll feel, well, you know, you guys don't really have our backs here. But then, I mean, the Australian tabloids are as notorious yeah. as the British, aren't they? For uh, sort of undermining anything good um, in that what... country, sort of literally and morally as well. Um, <laughs> I wonder what kind of dossiers were, uh, what kind of documents were floating around uh, floating around the opposition dressing rooms uh, in even League Division 4 last summer, you know, about us. For well, me, it's just bowl at the stumps. <laughs> yeah, Tony Kerr, bowl short, bowl full, bowl at the stumps, bowl wide. Bowl quick, bowl, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bowl quick, bowl spin, just bowl anywhere. Um uh, there's an intriguing battle uh, shaping up between the captains of the two teams. Uh, you've got Graham Smith on the one hand. He's, he's the longest-serving test captain in history, uh, and he enhanced his reputation even further, didn't he, in, in England this summer. But then on the other hand, you've got Michael Clark, and I think in the past sort of um, 10 to 21 months, uh, he's proven himself to be a very fine leader indeed. You know, when he took over, as you might remember, I'm sure you do remember, Australia had just lost the Ashes, and as a team, they were all over the place. Much like Mitt Romney's views on social policy, am I right, Tane? <laughs> am I right? He's really sort of shown himself to be uh, tactically astute, and, he, and he's a, a solid, quite a sort of unifying presence, I think, in that Australian side. He reaches across the aisle, doesn't he, to all the players, in that, the players in that dressing room. <laughs> and uh, he's made Australia, I think, a, a much more united team than they were um, towards the end of the Ponting era. He's been getting the best out of his players as well, and, and that is no more apparent than with his pace attack, two-thirds of which is comprised of Ben Hilfenhaus and Peter Siddle, who against England two years ago were totally innocuous, and then against India a year later were totally unplayable. Could you believe that transformation in, in Siddle and Hilfenhaus? Yeah, the, I mean, just the names, uh, Siddle and Hilfenhaus, make me feel warm and fuzzy, I don't know, <laughs> which is not what you want from a, an Aussie kind of pace attack well they can't help their own names Tone. but do you mean well it's a combination of the actual names and you know how how kind of friendly they've been to English batsmen <laughs> in the past so uh, we couldn't have predicted the I'll claim that we might have predicted but I don't think we could have done 
you know, the way India went and capitulated against the Aussies. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It, it will be interesting to see just how far, you know, Australia's demolition of India last year uh, was a sign of their own improvement or whether it, it was just, you know, a, a nightmare tour for India. And, and that will be particularly the case with Siddle and Hilfenhaus because, I mean, they were just so different a year apart. And, and if that Siddle and Hilfenhaus turn up in this series, it will make things much tougher for the South Africans. But if the Ashes versions turn up, South Africa have got such a strong batting lineup that it's going to be extremely difficult for Australia to take 20 wickets. It's looking like Mitchell Stark is going to play as the third seamer. He's someone who's been in sensational form in limited overs cricket. This should be quite a good litmus test of where he's at at the moment. There's no Pat Cummins. Uh, I saw some wag on Twitter suggest that it might be easier for Cricket Australia just to issue press releases on days when Pat Cummins hasn't suffered a long-term injury. Uh, So he's out for the rest of this season. The problem for Australia is, as good as that pace attack is, or might be, assuming Siddle and Hilfenhaus are the India versions, South Africa's pace attack is even better. You know, Before the series in England, there was a debate about which was the best attack in the world. Was it South Africa's? Was it England's? I think we both felt that it was probably just about England's. But after what happened this summer, has that question been well and truly settled? in the South African favour. Yeah, I think it's t- it's tipped towards South Africa, uh, you'd have to say. You know, we talked for quite a while, quite a few weeks or months about England's embarrassment of riches and the depth to their bowling attack. But kind of when it came to it, it only took a couple of weeks to pass and a couple of, you know, a few dodgy spells. And suddenly you're thinking like, mm, you don't really want to be bringing this guy in, uh, which we didn't necessarily expect. But yeah, the South African bowling attack is, is going to potentially win them this series well part of the problem for England in the summer is that you know their attack was just blunted by the brilliance of the South African batting I would still say that England have much deeper resources I think beyond their three first choice seamers they've got lots of other guys who could come in uh, and do well I'm not sure if the same is true in South Africa you know they've got Mashant Delang and they've got Lonwabe Sotsobi but you wouldn't be as afraid of those guys but depth doesn't necessarily mean anything if the first choice three are fit which they are at the moment, and Stain, Morkel, Philander are arguably the three best fast bowlers in the world at the moment. So Australia will be fearful of those three, but they will feel that they've they've got you know some weapons up their sleeve as well with their pace bowlers. So a lot could hinge on the spinners. Imran Tahir is the much bigger name, but over the past sort of two to nineteen months, I think Nathan Lyon has, has quietly established himself as a very useful Test bowler. Tahir, by contrast, hasn't had the best first year in Test cricket. He's taking his wickets at an average of around 40. A large proportion of those wickets have been tail-enders. And he's been singled out in the dossier. They're going to go after him. They're going to take the attack to him. So I would say, at the moment, if I had to pick one to be in my team, I'd go for Nathan Lyon. But the question is, will Lyon be good enough to cause problems for South Africa's batting? And and that is the big concern, as as we've said. How do they take... 20 wickets England struggled to do it and their attack is better than Australia's so inevitably Australia have got to be worried about how they're going to get 20 wickets and they've got to do it at least once if they want to win this series looking at Australia's batting Shane Watson is injured Uh, he's going to miss the first test this is apropos of nothing but uh, something that I just remembered this week that I hadn't thought about for ages do you know the story of uh, during the 2005 Ashes tour of, of England I think Australia I think it was in Durham it might have been before a one-day game. Australia were staying in a hotel and Shane Watson got scared that his room was haunted. Um, so he had to go and sleep on the floor in Brett Lee's room, <laughs> which I think is really funny. I like the idea of, you know, Brett Lee waking up in the middle of the night and there's just like a figure at the door like, Brett, can I sleep in your bed? <laughs> just holding a teddy bear or something. That is ridiculous, isn't it? That's slightly... I had a nightmare. <laughs> Also, a hotel, like, yeah, hotel's not traditionally haunted. Well, I think it was like, like some a haunted sort of, hotel, is it? I can't remember. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, have you ever been on the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror? Yeah, true. Tame, I was, uh, was going to say, actually, it's completely opposite hotels are traditionally exactly where you expect. <laughs> well, not like Outlook a, Hotel. Not like a travel lodge or something. But, yeah, exactly. You know, that's, what, but, that's what I imagine they'd be staying in. Like, a, you, know, a, you know, you don't go to like a Novo Town and think, <laughs> God, this has, got, this has got years of history. Just walk into a holiday <laughs> Inn. This is a bit spooky. Yes. <laughs> I think it was some sort of like old stately home or something. But anyway, uh, yeah, his his absence gives a debut to Rob Quiney, uh, who I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't actually know. 
I, don't, I think Quiney sounds probably more likely than like, <laughs> yeah. Quinny. He was could be Quinney. That leaves a, a top three of Warner, Cowan, Quiney. There's plenty of experience there. South Africa are going to feel that they can get in amongst them. By contrast, there's depthless experience at four, five, six for Australia with Clark, Ponting, Hussey. But you know, if they're constantly on the back foot, if Australia do constantly lose early wickets, it won't be easy even for batsmen that experienced. So I guess in a way it all sounds like South Africa are heavy favourites for this series. And I think that they are favourites, but I don't think it's quite that simple because they do have some problems of their own. Uh, questions like, can Abe de Villiers bat at five and keep wicket? Can Philander possibly keep up his form? Can Tahir start to make an impact, as we talked about? And in England, I think we did identify uh, a fragility about their batting beyond the top order. Now, you've got a top four containing... Smith, Amler, Callis, and that's staggeringly good. But if Australia can find a way to get those guys out early in even one innings of the match, then with de Villiers at five, as I say, with other things on his mind, Rudolph six, Dumini seven, Australia are going to feel they're giving themselves a chance there. There's not a lot of uh, there's not going to be a lot of link, I don't think, between you know what happened in Sri Lanka in the World 2020 and what's going to happen in Test cricket in the next 12 months. You know, but South Africa were poor. You know, they they, they disappointed, and that you know. There could be a slight hangover from that in terms of a little bit of confidence, you know, maybe a little bit of team spirit. Well, yeah, I mean, it, the, the World 2020, it might have deflated them just a little bit coming off that high of the England tour. But I think as a test team, they must be feeling very, very confident at the moment. They know they've got the best pace attack in the world. They know they've got the best top order in the world. And, you know, that brings confidence to everyone else. And, you know, it's all very well for me to sit here and say, you know, there's a fragility about their lower order batting, their lower middle order batting. But on the other hand, if you're Jacques Rudolph, if you're JP Dumini coming in at number six or number seven, and you've got Smith, Callis, Amler, De Villiers above you, you wouldn't pad up, would you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You just kind just of be playing like Tetris <laughs> and stuff, just you know, knowing you've not, you're probably not even going to have to bother. I don't want. To, I, I, I literally can't, uh, you know, empathise with that. That because I've always been battered low down the order. And I've always felt the need to pad up, you know, <laughs> from ball one. Well, I mean, in our school days, I was batting at 10 or 11, and I'd probably pad up when the second wicket fell, because, I mean, you actually had to. Because by the time, <laughs> yeah. I mean, firstly, when you're a kid, it takes you ages to pad up anyway. And wickets were just falling so quickly that you had no choice but to pad up at second drop. I've drawn up a composite 11 for you, Tane. That's what we've all been waiting for. I think you'll be excited about this. Essentially, what this is, is uh, I've... I've sat down and I've looked at the two teams, Australia and South Africa, the two teams that we've just been talking about now, uh, and I've said, hey, what if I put these guys into one team, one eleven? Impossible. Uh, who would the be ICC in it? The ICC wouldn't have it. <laughs> well, I know. I'm not is this the IPL, Adam? Is this like a fantasy, fantasy franchise? Uh, well, here, do you want to hear it? Yeah, go Do on. you want to hear it or do you want to continue just making <laughs> yeah. jokes, making jokes about the IPL? Opening up, we've got Smith and Warner, then Amler's at three, Callis is at four, and then Clark and Hussey completing the middle order. Aby de Villiers is my wicketkeeper, a bit low down at number seven, but I've gone for him over Matthew Wade. And the pace attack of Philander, Stain and Morkel, and the spinner, Nathan Lyon. So there's seven South Africans there and four Australians. What do you make of that? Pretty fair, I think. Uh, seven and four, is that a sort of uh, a balanced reflection of, of the state of these two teams? Yeah, I think it might be. I, I you know, I think I'd like. Uh, I'm not suggesting I'm going to do this, but I'd like to see a statistical analysis of your composite 11s going back. You know, got records going back years. Yeah. You know, what a seven-four split. You know, how accurate uh, in the past you've been. Same predicted seven-four split. Would that predict that kind of ratio of, of wins in a test series? I'm like Nate Silver. Right? It's <laughs> yeah. like, what's the projection? It's going to be. Yeah, I think we need to bring we need to bring more you know more stats and projections to our to our work here Adam that's one thing we've learned from the election you say that I'm now going to ask you for a, a just a, a gut feeling on a prediction based entirely not on statistics who do you think is going to win and by what scoreline <sighs> yeah head says head says South Africa heart says South Africa <laughs> yeah head and heart in, in perfect harmony <sighs> T- toss up between 2-1 maybe 2-1 to South Africa I mean 2-1 is the safe is the safe option I think Maybe 2 0, I'll say, to South Africa. <sighs> That's my prediction, Tate. <laughs> I'm going to start giving you mine first. Yeah, I think, yeah. every you single can, the next time. series you do. We pick the same one every time. 
Oh, I think 2-0 because... <laughs> See, now you couldn't decide, but now you're... <laughs> no, rubbish. No, I, was gonna, I could decide. I was just saying that I think, you know, 2-1 is what I'd probably like to see. You know, that would be, that'd be a, you know, a, what you'd think would be quite an exciting series. 2-1's an exciting scoreline, isn't it? But 2-0 uh, but is probably more realistic. In which case, I'm probably going to have to go for South Africa to win 2-1. Uh, but that's not what I actually think. <laughs> um, Australia, you know, they're a team on the rise. Uh, and I do think that all three matches are going to be relatively close, but South Africa should have just about too much for the Aussies. Their batting is better. Their bowling is better. Not by that much, but I think by enough to uh, to win this series and take the trophy home. Is there a trophy? There's almost certainly a trophy, isn't there? There will be, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that's cool. I've got a glass thing, probably. Maybe, might, you know, it might be made of metal, I guess. Probably not plastic. <laughs> yeah, perspex. Oh, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's that, that, great banter. <laughs> it's just materials banter. <laughs> it's like a DT lesson in here. England. On this part of the show, we talk about England. And now there's still a week to go before the first test between India and England. Uh, we will do a full preview of this series on next week's show, so everyone's looking forward to that. But there has been another warm-up game. England played Mumbai A in Mumbai. The tourists batted first. They made 345 for nine declared. Johnny Bairstow with a century. Owen Morgan made runs as well, 76. And Samit Patel, 60. Uh, Mumbai A were going along very nicely when they were 210 for two runs for Chiteshwar Pajara most notably he made 87 uh, but England came back well eventually bowling them out for 286 three wickets apiece for Panazar and Patel uh, the game meandered into a draw on the final day England finished 149 for two but importantly there were runs for Nick Compton 64 not out. So this was a, an extremely low-key warm-up, wasn't it? And it is, it's obviously difficult to read too much, if anything, into a match against what was essentially a Mumbai second-string side with one or two additions. Um, but it has, to some degree, I think, advanced the discussion about the composition of England's batting lineup going into that first test. There were runs for Bairstow, Morgan and Patel in the first innings. They are presumably in a scrap for one place, in the order at number six you'd imagine Patel is ahead at the moment he scored runs in the first match as well provides another bowling option and obviously the the second opener's berth is the other spot that people are fighting for and as I say there were runs for Nick Compton in the second inning so he he might have um, put himself ahead of Joe Root now uh, but I did see in, in the Times this week that, that Michael Atherton wrote that he thinks Jonathan Trott should be promoted to open, that he thinks that would be uh, the most sensible move at this point rather than giving somebody a debut at the top of the order. Trott has come out and said that he doesn't want that to happen and that he doesn't think it will happen. But what do you reckon? Do you think it would be a good idea if it did happen? It's not a bad suggestion, is it? You know, I can see the logic in it. Undoubtedly, Trott, you'd say, is the right sort of player. He's got the temperament. He's battled a lot with Cook in the past, a lot, as we all know. Maybe too much. But yeah, maybe, you know, given that he doesn't want that to happen, probably best not to force him. Well, in a sense, that's where the discussion should stop because, yeah, you don't really want to be asking your batsmen to do things that they don't want to do. But then particularly on the other if they're hand, very, you know, yeah, particularly if they've had a lot of success doing uh, the jobs they've been doing. But then again, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, 
it's a team. Trot is now, you know, is, is quickly becoming, or has over time become a senior player of the team, <laughs> as, as you'd expect. Uh, and so maybe there is an onus on him to, to, you know, to step up and man up, if you like. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing that if, if people were calling for, say, Peterson to be moved up to number three and he said he didn't want to do it, they'd be like, oh, he's so selfish. <laughs> you know, when it's someone else, people aren't so quick to do that. And there is an argument that says Trot should do what's best for the team. But then on the other hand, you should say, well, the team should do what's best for the team. And if that's keeping Jonathan Trott at three, then that's what you've got to do. I mean, it would be a good thing in one sense. It would, would solve this problem of, of whether to gamble on Compton or to gamble on Root. Uh, because it is a gamble. I mean, I mean, Cooker said that he's not really seen either of them bat very much before. Whichever one of them plays, they will be making their debut in a tough situation. It would also free up a spot in the middle order, um, which might be a good thing because at the moment two out of Bearstow, Morgan and Patel are gonna miss out and they all appear to be in form on the you know, the very limited um evidence that we've seen so far. But yeah, I'd I wouldn't promote Trot. I mean if he doesn't want to do it, that is a big thing. He has been so vital for England at number three over the past sort of five to forty eight months that I wouldn't want to disrupt that. There might be another option. I wouldn't necessarily be averse to Ian Bell opening. Have you asked Ian about that? I haven't. Um, I, I have sent him numerous uh, Facebook messages about it, but he appears to be ignoring them at the moment. Now, I think he, he might be the type of batsman that you want at the top of the order in India. Um, he, he might be someone that would complement Cook rather than Cook and Trot, you know. Uh, getting bogged down. Getting bogged down. Cook and Bell open together in ODI cricket, so they've, they've got some experience together going out at the, at the top of the innings. Bell does look to be a bit out of nick at the moment, so that might be a stupid idea. Um, but on the other hand, it might be exactly what he needs. It might be, you know, a, a, fresh, a different challenge, yeah. give him some, fresh some, angle. A, a, an opportunity to kind of freshen up. I think for me, you know, it's a four test series so it's not you know we're not talking about a one-off game where in a way you have to get it right from the start if England go in with say Compton opening uh, and he fails and England lose the match then then maybe you can look at making some <laughs> making some uh, both a mask changes to the team wholesale changes after the first test but you know I'd go with Compton to begin with uh, and then if it all goes uh, if it all crumbles to dust yeah then you can maybe look at giving Trot a nudge and I think there's a danger in sort of placing too much faith in some of these middle order guys, which I, which Atherton appeared to be doing in this article that he wrote. He was sort of saying you know, it'd be a travesty if Morgan and Bairstow had to sit out. But prior to this warm-up game against Mumbai A, neither of them were being talked about as sort of you know inevitable success stories in India. They, they, you know, Bairstow's had his problems against spinners. Morgan has had his problems you know in, uh, against Pakistan last year. Atherton was saying you know it's a mouthwatering idea having sort of Bairstow at five, Patel at six. So. I wouldn't get carried away with it, but I wouldn't be unhappy with Compton playing. I don't think there's, there's too much to choose between any of them. I mean, if I was there, if I was making the call, I might have a little word in Ian Bell's ear to see whether or not he'd be open to the idea <laughs> of opening. Having said all of that, I think this is a pretty irrelevant discussion because I think <laughs> yeah. England have definitely decided on what they're going to do. You're listening to this. They don't want to change their 3-4-5. I think they've decided that, that Compton's going to be the man. So this is, yeah, this is all pointless. That's been fun though, isn't it? Another thing that made me laugh in the Atherton article uh, was the first half of it was just him talking about um, how lucky England have been in recent times with the quality of their opening batsmen. Sort of said, you know, we've had Strauss and Kirk and before that there's Chiscothic and, you know, it's been a really solid aspect of England's cricket. And he's like, you know, sort of going back, you know, even into the 90s, England just had world class (laughs) opening batsmen. (laughs) Didn't mention himself by name, but the implication was there. (laughs) The side notes now, on which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the cricketing week. Uh, on last week's side notes, time we talked about uh, Flintoff's uh, boxing bout, uh, which is coming up. Andrew Flintoff getting into the ring for a, a professional um, heavyweight clash uh, on what the the final day of November, isn't it? Thirtieth, thirty days this half is September, birthday, six days, later, April, yeah. June, and November. Have you seen the adverts for the Flintoff show on Sky? I've not. It's called Wait for This. From Lords to the Ring. Not bad. Did they think of the title before they asked him if he wanted to do it? <laughs> yeah. I and who would they prepare like to go to if Flintoff had turned <laughs> it down, you know? 
Butcher. <laughs> Michael Vaughan, yeah, Butcher. Luke Robert Bryant. Croft. <laughs> yeah. Alex Wolf. <laughs> I'd have liked to see the list, actually, in the, in the Sky Production office. Yeah. It's like, well, I've spoken to Craig White. He's open to the idea. <laughs> he wants more money, though. We're not prepared to give it to <laughs> I, lo- I love the idea of TV shows that they think of the title first. I mean, we could set up a whole production company based around that premise, couldn't we? Like, Cheeses of Nazareth. Cash in the Attic with Pat Cash. We need to talk to Pat Cash about that, see if he'd be up for it. Are we imagining like a sort of... uh like a, a documentary sort of trying to get some some psychological insight into what it's like to be trapped in an attic for like three weeks or something and i think pat cash is the guy to give it to <laughs> us isn't he he's yeah well pat, it's irrelevant it, it, it who it is real, it provide real insight. utterly irrelevant who it is but <laughs> his name is cash so therefore we can call it cash in the attic what about uh butcher cassidy and the sundance kid and it would be mark butcher natalie cassidy and, and they, Robert Redford. And Robert Redford, yeah. And they basically just go, they go to Sun, they maybe go to the Sundance Film Festival, you know, okay. and just and review movies <laughs> <laughs> together. That's good. Vaughn to be wild. <laughs> yeah. Michael Vaughn just on nights out in Sheffield. Oh, dear, we could go on all night. We could go on all night. Anyway, I've got a side note here. Uh, this comes from one of your favourite newspapers, Tony, the Sydney Morning Herald, Prince Stitches and Pitches in Melbourne. Do you want me to say that again? Prince Stitches and Pitches in Melbourne. From tapestry stitch to the cricket pitch, the Prince of Wales has been hands-on in Melbourne. Prince Charles's first engagement in the city on Tuesday drew a small crowd with World Mission Society Church of God members calling out, We love you! as he entered the Australian tapestry workshop. Wearing a blue pinstripe suit, the prince inspected rich tapestries and turned his hand to some weaving before visiting a cri- before visiting a cricket clinic at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Tapestry donor Alex Robertson said the prince was fascinated by the work. Oh, I said to him, your occupation as a prince is much better than a weaver, Mr Robertson said. While a good sport with the weaving, the prince stopped short of using a compass with Coolaroo South Primary School students during art workshops. Nine-year-old Muna Hassan said the prince confessed to her that he wasn't that good at maths. The prince was less shy when asked to show off his cricket skills at the MCG. As he watched around 50 young Victorians practice batting, bowling and fielding at a clinic on the ground, someone cried out for the heir to the throne to have a bowl. I'm going to have to do a Prince Charles impression now, Tony. You ready for this? God. I knew someone would say that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, give it to me, the prince said, catching a tennis ball. (laughs) I can't do Prince Charles in the slightest. Perhaps sensing his slow offline deliveries couldn't quite match the standards set by the youngsters, he reminded them, I broke my arm in two places, so I can't do it as well as I used to. Also, he he, he walks around, doesn't he, with hands in his little pockets? (laughs) Hands in his little pockets. (laughs) Yeah, do you know? Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Uh, I'm doing an impression for the benefit of listeners. Yeah, it's like he's doing a dinosaur impression, but putting his hands in his pockets. Yeah, if basically the T-Rex was wearing a hoodie... Basically. Or like a, or like a <laughs> waistcoat. Yeah. yeah. I actually found that I tuned out the word tapestry. Uh, <laughs> nothing bores me quite like tapestry. Do you want me to read the article again? Can <laughs> you sense the word tapestry? And I'll. Uh, what I'll do you mean nothing bores you quite like tapestries? When are you you say that as though you're constantly confronted <laughs> with tapestries? I just uh, can't get into tapestries. One bit of that article that really makes me laugh is that that quote from the weaver um, saying, I said to him, your occupation as a prince is much better than a weaver. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's like, that's double trouble. Because the first one is like, like, people are obviously, you know, they feel when they feel under pressure, they do panic. So if you're confronted with the Prince of Wales, you are going to say something stupid, aren't you? But don't then repeat it to a newspaper reporter. I suppose people do panic in front of newspaper reporters as well, don't they, and say stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember going to, uh, uh, it was, well, this is slightly embarrassing, or you'll think it's embarrassing, going... Embarrassing for uh, me, or you? For me. Oh, OK. Going, uh, g- going to the midnight opening of... Uh, I think it was like the fifth or sixth Harry Potter. I think I came with you, actually. Look, I think you came with yeah. me. Well. You've never read Harry Potter, but you came... There's a bunch of us went. Yeah, but I do remember someone... Uh, just as we went in, we'd been queuing for what seemed like a ludicrous amount of time. We queued for about an hour, yeah. Uh, but so, 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 you know, some woman behind us really enjoyed our chat. She was just <laughs> eavesdropping in the whole She time. was like, you guys should start a podcast in a few <laughs> years. Cricket, yeah. <laughs> um, just after I got my book, I sort of turned to go out the door and there was a... a uh, a newspaper reporter there and he was like can I uh, can I ask you some questions and I 
panicked and was like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, it's just that thing of when people ask you, uh, like put you on the spot like that, you just can't think of anything at all. So he was like, so uh, you excited about getting Harry Potter, the new Harry Potter book? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I really like it. And he was like, who's your favourite character? And I was like, probably <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that quote appeared in, make in the newspaper. The <laughs> but then that makes you wonder with this article about Prince Charles, <laughs> yeah, what, the... what quotes, what other quotes did he get? What quotes were deemed un- unsuitable? <laughs> yeah, we had a friend who used to work at the local paper who'd just make it, you know, every time he needed quotes, we'd just make, you know, just use our names. Yeah, just, just invent make quotes, quotes. to fit what you needed. Local I'm... bystander Adam Bayfield said... <laughs> if you Google our names, you're yeah, <laughs> deep enough, you'll find... Uh, yeah, you'll find we're, we're attributed to all kinds of controversial <laughs> opinions. There was one that was of, like... A, it was, like, a uh, a local event. It's called the Rockane Regatta. It's, like, <laughs> a, uh, like how, how would you describe it? It's, like, a like a fair... It's like a parish. At the beach, like a parish fair. Fair, but on the beach. Which I don't think I even went to that year. <laughs> and I saw in the paper, it was, like, quotes of local people, what they think of the event. And I said something like, I think it's really it's a really quintessentially, really quintessentially Guernsey thing. So it makes you really proud to be an islander. And people were like, oh, that was a bit of a weird quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, over the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I just really <laughs> didn't say that. He doesn't work for them anymore. Much like Mitt Romney's campaign, this episode of The World Cricket Show has reached the end of the road. Have you enjoyed yourself, Tony? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Put me on the spot, Adam. Have you enjoyed this election week? Oh, it's been great, isn't it? There's something quite exciting about it, isn't there? Yeah, oh, there definitely is. The Americans sure know, to, sure know how to throw an election, don't they? Yeah. To make me laugh, like the uh, in Romney, you know, Romney HQ, uh, after the news was broken, you know, it was basically like dead. There was no one there, but just a few people crying. Uh, and it kind of reminded me of, like, of when you see people cry when their football teams get relegated. Yeah, yeah. I you actually just, thought that as well. Yeah, do you? In some ways, I, yeah, I have some sympathy for it, but then you're like, well, just, you know, hold yourself together. <laughs> Quite in private. But, I mean, arguably it's more important than, like, Blackpool going down or something like that. Yeah, OK, there's an argument. Well, yeah. But you say Blackpool fans shouldn't cry either. But yeah. then when Newcastle got relegated, you didn't get out of bed for about three weeks. I didn't cry. I thought about what I could do to help. <laughs> Pitched in, you know, turned up with a shovel. and. A... Do you know, Tone, that we recorded the first ever episode of the World Cricket Show about a week after Obama got in the first time? Over the next like eighteen months or so, we recorded about ten more episodes. So, like, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't quite the uh, uh, the big kickstart that you might have imagined. Uh, but do you feel like we've come full circle? Who's achieved more in the past four years? <laughs> Arguably, we have. You know, uh, I think we've I think we've done you know we've done a good job, and I think four more years. You know, the people want four more years from us. Four more years. <laughs> yeah. Four more years. Two more days. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny thinking back on that first episode. Do you, do you even remember it? Uh, not not fondly. It's not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't remember it at all. It's not. I've got uh, you know. I've got an awful memory for these kind of things. I mean, do you even remember last week's episode? For <laughs> not not like in great detail. <laughs> I I don't remember any of the episodes from way back. Apart from I do remember the first one because obviously it was the first one, uh, and and not so long ago I listened to the first bit of it just to see what it sounded like, and we both sound so. Bored, just <laughs> unbelievably bored. The We're just there, like, hello, <sighs> welcome to the World Cricket Show. Um, just a podcast about cricket. Maybe we just got better at hiding it. You know, <laughs> yeah. it just, it's the same, but we're just dressing it up more. I don't think it mattered too much. I think we probably had one listener, and that includes the two of us. Yeah. I don't think you listened to it. <laughs> um, so I do feel like we've really run in parallel with Obama. So right, we didn't get a name check in the uh, in the victory speech, you know. <laughs> yeah. So as we look to start our second term, uh, there's all kinds of things that listeners can do if they want to get more involved in the World Cricket Show. Follow us on Twitter, uh, Twitter.com/slash cricket show some of you might have already read many of today's jokes on twitter uh, so funny that you can't confine them to just one medium follow us there follow tony at tony cover t-o-n-y-c-v double r like us on facebook facebook.com slash cricket show uh, you can leave us a review on itunes if you've only got time to do one thing i'd suggest doing that as we do really appreciate all of those send us an email as well worldcricketshow at gmail.com uh, and if you really want to support the show, you can buy a T-shirt 
www.cricketshow.net is where you need to go. And for just £15, including shipping to anywhere in the world, uh, you can get your hands on a World Cricket Show t-shirt, the must-have fashion accessory this winter. You got much lined up for the weekend, Tone? Uh, going to comedy night, I think. You're wavering on whether to come. I think you're worried that, you know, when you see proper comics, you'll, uh, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you might... You might wonder where you went wrong. Well, I was going to go and just like take a notepad and just <laughs> just write, write down all their gags, and then that saves me some work. Next Easier week. if you don't come, because then I can, yeah, I can pile them off as my own. Next <laughs> week, and you'll never know. When I start doing, uh, when you launch into your airline food material, <laughs> yeah. I'll be slightly suspicious. It was a hell of a Saturday night just gone, wasn't it? Wasn't it just uh, our mate James? It was his brother's seventeenth birthday party, and uh, and James asked us and a few of the other lads. Uh, to, uh, to to come along and be bouncers, to be chaperones at this party. Well, security, uh, I was useless. <laughs> I was actually useless. You were utterly useless, actually. <laughs> you were the worst bouncer I think I've ever seen. I mean, after about five minutes, you were just not even. Well, I, I think, I think I, yeah, I was just I was just chatting up, like you know, trying to chat. You were what? Huh? You were chatting. No, what? I was chatting with the guests. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I think my responsibility was to stop people smoking in the marquee. It was split into two groups. Like, there was a, a group up in the marquee. Then there was a group down on the gate who were sort of, you know, making sure that there were no gate crashes. Uh, and there was a real feeling of resentment that built <laughs> amongst the gate crew about the marquee crew. Because at one time you came down like, all right, lads, how's it going down at the gate? We were like, actually, Tony, we're stretched pretty thin, thin down here. Maybe you could stick around. And you were it like, was miserable no, I needed up at the marquee, mate. It's all going on at the marquee. I know, but you, you, got, you were like, oh, so miserable down here. It's like, this is what we've been asked to do. We've been asked to come along to do this. Uh, my favourite moment of the night, I think, though, was when I, you know, I, wand- I wandered down to the, uh, the gate, check out what was going on. At that point, there was quite a few of us down there. Uh, one beardy gentleman and his girlfriend turned up. And he was, they were turned away. Yeah, they didn't have the wristband. Didn't, didn't he was supposed have to have a wristband. It was all very organised, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know anything like that when I was a kid. It was really awkward when uh, that guy got turned away because he was quite drunk and got really angry. But because at that point there were quite a lot of us, I think he would have kicked off if there hadn't been quite so yeah. many of us. Uh, and he saw me as well and he was like... But he kept going, no, seriously, seriously, guys. No, seriously, it's fine. No, seriously, guys, it's fine. And as he was walking off down the road, like every 10 yards, he'd stop, turn around and go, no, seriously, guys, seriously, it's fine. Then he got about 100 yards away and was like, no, seriously, <laughs> seriously, guys, it's fine. <laughs> we were like, just keep walking, mate. <laughs> yes. It's an utterly thankless job being a bouncer is something that I discovered. But I did get, I got quite into it. Yeah, he did. I put my head up and everything, so. Yeah, no, it was quite intimidating. James gave me a torch and uh, as, as cars pulled up, I was sort of getting over there, getting right <laughs> up right in their space like and the shining back, the torch yeah. in. Like, you let's go wristbands. Like, like. <laughs> <laughs> If you ain't got a wristband, you ain't coming in. Just put it, yeah, just putting on my Jason Statham voice. I think I'm going to start talking like Jason Statham just all the time because you do get a lot more respect like that, <laughs> I think. It's... Unless, like, you're Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> people are like, uh-huh. <laughs> It's one thing that I think is really funny about people like Jason Statham who have ridiculous voices like that because presumably sometimes you just have to say normal stuff, but you've still got that voice. So, like, is Jason Statham ever like, um, excuse me? Your chair is on my coat and that kind of yeah. stuff. Like, I think I'll have cheese and pickle <laughs> in my sandwich. It's almost as good as your Prince Charles, but not quite. <laughs> yeah, you're almost there. Anyway, pra- yeah, get, put some more mirror time in, <laughs> just to get, get get on it. Right. Anyway, that's about it for this week. I'm flagging. Stay in school, guys. I'm talking specifically to some of the uh, kids at, at that party. <laughs> yeah. You guys really need to stay in school. Uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye for now. And to be fair, there's not many other sources that you can go to if you want sort of election coverage and that kind of stuff. People are struggling a bit.
to get the um, the news and the analysis that they're looking for. So they you know, where else are you going to look but to a cricket podcast? I mean, I'm surprised the sponsors didn't send us over there to you know to. To write a bit of on the ground coverage. I'm surprised the BBC didn't hire us. I mean, Jeremy Vine's all well and good. Uh, he seems to be broadcasting in some like space station above the earth. Like, <laughs> what's the funny thing? Like, like this morning on breakfast, uh, like the breakfast, the breakfast studio, it, like Bill Turnbull in wherever I can't, I don't actually know where he was. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. He's probably in Washington. Was it New York City? I don't know if it was. Was it? But anyway, he was Washington DC. Where- he was based in a warehouse. There was no. There didn't appear to be anyone else there. Just <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like Susie Reed is back in London. Possibly your favourite person. Yeah, I mean she's yeah she's up there. It's like that in a lot of things though. Like uh, in documentaries and stuff. Like I mean everyone always um, jokes around about um, things like Wonders of the Solar System, uh, which I'm therefore going to do now as well. Uh, but like with Brian Cox going all around the world, it'll just be like. I'm in Peru for no apparent reason for a 10-second piece to camera. And then he's not in Peru for the rest of the episode. But I was watching a few like documentaries about the US election and stuff, sort of programmes about the US election. There was an Andrew Marr one on the BBC. And most of it seemed to be him just like sitting on porches, like porch stoops and stuff, which really could have been anywhere. I mean, he probably yeah, like... Build a set, you yeah, know, back exactly. in London. Just... You know, I'm not sure it was entirely necessary to fly out to America just to sit on a step. I mean, it is slightly preposterous. The, the the Brian Cox series, as good as they are, they are you know they're, they're great television. It's just ludicrous that some some of the some of the bits in it, like he yeah he's about he's like he's been dropped off from a helicopter on the top of some inaccessible fjord. Yeah, literally to do one sentence yeah. and then that's it. It's just amazing this ice. And then he's somewhere else looking at, <laughs> looking at some different yeah. ice. What a great job, though. Unbelievable job. We should get into it. We should start well, not just Brian Cox. I mean, presumably yeah. there's people who like hold the microphones and stuff. And, <laughs> yeah. Like, they have to. We should make a cricket documentary. A lot of people, you know, I'm, bas- I'm going on Facebook here. Uh, you know, that's where all my friends are. Yep. Uh, yeah. No, here's a good idea for a cricket documentary. Looking at cricket in really unlikely parts of the world. Uh, so like and whether or not cricket's got a foothold in in countries so we could literally go anywhere then and we'll just go to like China and be like any sign of cricket no and that could be the documentary (laughs) Uh, I've actually had a tweet from Butcher oh yeah Yeah, glad you had a good night (laughs) 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 that's brilliant uh uh, (laughs) Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 